And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just something I've noticed. We don't give enough credit to signs, and we really should. That sign over there tells you great French fries. That sign over there tells you this is your exit. And look at that legendary sign. It's the Motel 6 sign. It tells you a great night's rest at a great price. Book online at motel6.com. And use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. Look for the signs. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a great price when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letter CP. Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel6.com. That's a great deal. And that's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. Hello and welcome. He is Gary McNamara. I'm Eric Harley as we begin Indictment Tuesday. Gary, how are you? Uh, good. Uh, just, uh, you know, woke up to all of this and, and so is uh, have been going through the actual uh, criminal indictment uh, on it because uh, this thing, everything was released. When, when I woke up, I mean, I woke up and <laughs> it was after I jumped in the shower and got out and just went to the phone and went, oh, boy, here we go. These are and, the Georgia indictments against yes, former the, President Trump. Right, the uh, the Georgia in, indictments. And, and again, I, I haven't fully read and digested all of it. I got through like the first, uh, I got through all the method and, and uh, the manner and methods of uh, the enterprise and, and what they're talking. And we're not talking about the starship. Uh, and it's really, so, so I haven't gone through each. I've got through like the first 15 uh, actual indictments, but it's what the basis of the indictments are, the manner and methods of the enterprise which is where she, you know, leads off the entire indictment. And you look at it, I mean, even from from even point one that she makes, you say, you got to be kidding me. You're going after free speech again. Here it is. Uh, The manner and methods of the enterprise, the manner and methods used by the defendants and other methods and associates of the enterprise to further the goals of the enterprise and achieve its purpose included but we're not limited to the following false statements to and solicitation of state legislatures. Members of the enterprise, including several of the defendants, appeared at hearings in Fulton County, Georgia, before members of the Georgia General Assembly on December 3rd, December 10th and December 30th. At those hearings, members of the enterprise made false statements concerning fraud in the November 3rd, 2020 presidential election. The purpose of these false statements was to persuade Georgia legislators to reject lawful electoral votes cast by duly elected and qualified presidential electors from Georgia. Members of the enterprise corruptly solicited Georgia legislators instead uh, in, instead to unlawfully appoint their own presidential electors 
for the purpose of casting electoral votes for Donald Trump. Members of the enterprise also made false statements to state legislators during hearings and meetings in Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania uh, in November and December 2020 to to persuade legislators in those states to unlawfully appoint their own presidential electors. So it's really interesting when you read all of this, as one of the analysis from the quick analysis from, uh, I think, was this John Nolte of Breitbart? Um, I don't know. I don't have it here who who wrote this, but it says the indictment does not does not fundamentally concern actions taken in Georgia, but describes words spoken and actions taken by the Trump campaign in a variety of other states in their effort to cast doubt on the controversial 2020 presidential election. That's the strange thing as you go through all of this. It's not as if it's directed criminally at actions specifically in the state of Georgia. Yeah. Um, which is, which is. And, and, and again, I mean, if, if we get into false statements made at hearings, the question is, all right, w- were those, were those exact statements made in the state of Georgia in those hearings? And are they legally bound? No. Like if you, if you testify on Capitol Hill, that's sworn testimony. If you're talking to an FBI agent about something material to an investigation, you can't lie. But if you're talking about making false and misleading statements, how does that not happen all the time? It happens constantly. You can how does this not apply right. to the lawmakers and then Speaker Pelosi Back in 2017, here's some of the the analysis, which I uh, agree with. Again, I haven't gone through all of the indictments. This is, again, very initial Mm. looking at the indictment. The indictment does not fundamentally fundamentally concern actions taken in Georgia, but describes words spoken in actions taken by the Trump campaign and a variety of other states in their efforts to cast out on the 2020 presidential election. The indictment charges several uh, defendants with crimes merely for making statements that argued that the 2020 election was stolen. It claims that actions such as holding public hearings in Pennsylvania amounted to acts in furtherance of an illegal conspiracy. Other acts that are referred to as furthering the conspiracy include tweets by then-President Trump encouraging people to watch public hearings in which allegations of voting irregularities were being made by Trump lawyers and witnesses. The indictment also describes an effort to prepare false electors, what even the New York Times called has called alternate electors, despite the precedent set by Democrats in the 1960 election on behalf of John Kennedy in the closely contested Hawaii race. Further, the indictment also attempts to charge alleged federal violations in state court seeking accountability in a Democratic-run, Democratic-friendly jurisdiction for actions allegedly taken by Republican presidential nominee in the last presidential race. Notably, there has never been any prosecution in any jurisdiction of Hillary Clinton, her lawyers and aides, who were involved in the spinning the Russia collusion hoax, which sought to overturn the results of the 2016 presidential election. The point they're trying to make is if you go after Trump for this, if you see what Hillary did, 
and the enterprise that was created there by by their analysis of this indictment, as we have stated before, and it, the, uh, this isn't the first time we've made this particular argument, Hillary Clinton should be doing life in prison. Yeah. If if this standard is is uh, is what you is is what you use uh, uh, for it. Um. Notably, while the indictment refers several times to statements made by the defendants to Georgia, the Georgia Secretary of State, it does not refer to the often misquoted statement by Trump that quote I just want to find eleven thousand seven hundred and eighty votes. Because that is the one, that is the one everybody thought that they were going to go after, apparently. Mm-hmm. That phone call. Right. And again, the, while the indictment refers several times to statements made by defendants to Georgia Secretary of State, it does not refer to the off-misquoted statement by Trump that I just want to find 11,780 votes. And... uh that and I'll have to go through. I've not seen that yet. I still have to go through and, and look at everything. But it seems like they're saying that so many of the things that were said, you know, whether they were organized or not, you know, whether, for example, because if you look at a a a conspiracy, this is trying to say that the culture that existed, the culture that existed, because everybody was wasn't running things through Trump. There was no when you look, for example, at the Hillary, the Hillary Russia collusion situation and you look at how an enterprise runs. That's much more of a if you're going to use Rico to go after an enterprise, you look at it and you would say the Hillary campaign that actually created, you know, created, uh, you know, raised dollars and spent those dollars to create a lie where they spent those dollars and illegally used them, uh, as we know from the FEC, because they got fined hundreds of thousands of dollars for basically lying where that money was going, that it was for normal campaign expenditures, and it wasn't. It was to create the dossier, which were lies created about Trump and then sold to the FBI and to the media. That's just the generalities of that. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to go after and and remember, there was a group and a management of group that actually gave it to other people, the money to other people who then funneled that money to other people that funneled that money to other people to create a lie. And then the enterprise sold that lie with the knowledge of the people who originated the, the, the money you know, to create that lie. That's what an enterprise is. And so if they believe that people working in the same culture, because they weren't running all these things past Trump, Mm. there were people out there doing things on their own, as we know. The lawyers were saying things that Trump didn't say. And and we know for a fact, because Sidney Powell was gone early on uh, after the election, because they even went, okay, she's going too far. She was saying things that Trump didn't approve of. And they made it clear. There was a statement officially, not just from Sidney Powell, but from his team. She's not working for us. And let, let's go to number two. Uh, uh, false statements false statements and solicitation of high-ranking state officials. Well, false statements is not a crime. 
solicitation of high-ranking state officials is not a crime. But what they're stating is all of it together is a crime or an enterprise. Members of the enterprise, including several of the defendants, made false statements in Fulton County and elsewhere in the state of Georgia to Georgia officials, including the governor, the secretary of state, the speaker of the House, members of the enterprise also corruptly solicited Georgia officials, including the Secretary of State and Speaker of the House of Representatives, to violate their oaths to the Georgia Constitution and to the United States Constitution by unlawfully changing the outcome of November 3rd, 2020. Of the 2020 presidential election in Georgia in favor of Donald Trump, members of the enterprise also made false statements and solicited officials in Arizona, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Again, what are we dealing with here? Things that are said. Well, and the way that that, uh, the indictment reads, they were knowingly false, saying the defendant knew these items were false. My question would be, what evidence do you have at that time that he knew they were false but still made the claims? Because the conspiracy she lines up goes from essentially the beginning of November of 2020 until January 20th, the day that he was no longer president. And the question would be, where along the way can you demonstrate that he knew, he told someone, he wrote to someone, he said to someone, I know it's not true, but we're going with it anyway. That's not a crime, though. That's what I mean. Well, that's that, even it's if he not, did it, it's, that's not a crime. That's what I mean. It's none of this is a crime. You're talking about lies. But she said she the way that or she the way the indictment reads. Knowingly spread false claims. These were knowingly false at the time. Everybody knew these claims were false is what she's saying. So if you're even going to get to the point of proving a crime, which it's still not a crime, you're going to have to demonstrate that at some point he was very clear that what he was saying and doing was false. And then to that point, you're going to have to take it and tell me where it breaks the law. Yeah, I'm reading here. Acts of racketeering activity. On or about uh, the fourth day of November uh, 20th, Donald Trump made a nationally televised speech falsely declaring victory in the 2020 presidential election. That's Act 1 of the racketeering. Mm -hmm. Act 1. Approximately four days later, Donald J. Trump discussed a draft speech with unindicted co-conspirator individual number one, whose identity is uh, known to the grand jury, and falsely declared victory and falsely claimed voter fraud. The speech was an overt act of the furtherance of the conspiracy. On the 15th of November, uh, Rudolph William Lewis Giuliani placed a telephone call to an unindicted co-conspirator, Individual 2, whose identity is known to the grand jury and left approximately an 83-second-long voicemail message for the unindicted co-conspirator, Individual 2, making uh, statements concerning fraud in the November 3, 2020 election in Fulton County. The telephone call was an overt act of the furtherance of conspiracy. So what are we talking about here? Telling lies. Yeah. That the conspiracy is to convince everybody that your lies are the truth. 
Uh, Show not, me not, where they broke yeah, the law. Not not saying committed perjury. Now I will no. say now in in the in, in the uh, uh, initial document. I think it's. Uh, let me just get back to it here. Because and again, this is. Uh, oh, everybody understands this is again just the initial uh, reading of it, just scanning it, mm-hmm. and I haven't even got through all of the actual acts that are included in there. I will say that when it comes to. Uh, let me just move here. I'm going through it. <laughs> Please excuse us. But this, again, this is all, you know, uh, breaking uh, to us. This would be the, the, uh, the enterprise here, manner and methods of the manner and methods of the enterprise. And this would be point eight that they make. These aren't actually the acts of law breaking, but this is just the, the methods obstructive acts and furtherance of a conspiracy in the cover up members of the enterprise, including several of the defendants, filed false statements, uh, making false statements to government investigators, and committed perjury in judicial proceedings in Fulton County, Georgia. Now, if you've got perjury, if you have the perjury there. Now, and again, they don't have Trump. This isn't directed at Trump, but members of the enterprise, including several of the defendants, filed false documents, made false statements to government investigators, and committed perjury. But they don't say that, that would be that would be on his lawyers. Yes, if somebody if wh- somebody falsely filed something. Right. Now the question is, what's the wording in those filings? Because remember, we talked about it along the way. What was happening before cameras and in you know in press events was different than what was happening in court with his lawyers. And that's why I asked that question. In those filings, exactly what is it that broke the law? What is the claim that they broke the law in those? Because the wording changed. The wording changed between when they were in front of a camera and what they were doing in court. We talked about it. Yeah. So my yeah. question is, in the filings, what what claims did they make that rose to perjury? And what is the final act of you know the if if a con, if a conspiracy, and again I haven't read the entire thing, but if you're saying that there's an enterprise and a conspiracy, and that's under the RICO Act, and it's everything that was said, what was the crime at the end? Right. What was the criminal act at the end? Right. We'll talk more coming up. Eight six six ninety Red Eye. How much do you know about synthetic oil? Heavy-duty trucks have been running on traditional mineral oil for the last 100 years, but today's technology brings us other options to consider. Synthetic is better quality. Unlike conventional oil, synthetic oils have a consistent molecular structure, giving it the ability to support pressures from higher horsepower engines, especially at lower RPMs. It also allows oil to reduce friction in an engine, controlling temperatures and improving fuel economy. Lastly, they're cleaner. Synthetics pick up fewer contaminants as they do their job of lubrication. They also have a better oxidation stability, resulting in an overall cleaner engine. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. 
just something I've noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden, you got to yawn. Do you know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel 6? Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code CP Red Eye. That's the letters CP Red Eye, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. It's Friday Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Okay, I just I read everything there. I uh, did speed reading through all of the uh, the the acts uh, that is listed in the indictment. So we'll get to all that coming up uh, following the uh, bottom of uh, the hour. One was just a Trump. They actually have one of the counts of the conspiracy mm-hmm. is Trump tweeting. Watch the hearings on OAN. Yeah, that's actually part of it. Just yeah. saying, watch the hearings. Right. Him saying things to influence yeah. people. Where does it break the law? You're listening to Red Eye Radio. From the Uniden America Studios. And he is Eric Hurley, and uh, I'm Gary McNamara. Uh, just, again, going through here, let me get back to where I was uh, before. As I said, I just, I scanned the entire one. I can, I, I, I can sort of half-speed read. <laughs> mm. And I, and I pick up most of the, most of the stuff, so... I've I've read the indictment, but then again, very, very quickly. And it seems uh, again uh, and maybe I've missed something. But from what I can see initially from looking at this, uh, the enterprise is basically uh, and and the actual acts of the conspiracy seem to be all protected under political free speech yes uh this is you know you've had and uh, or and or the process yes if you you wanted to challenge the results of an election you can do that 
Yes, you can. And and when when you see all of this uh, here, when you um, when you when you go when you go through it all, the cons- the the enterprise or the the conspiracy, those conspiring are all uh, sometimes talking to each other, mm-hmm. sometimes alone, uh, you know, making making statements. Like I said, for example, the uh, the the one uh, the one uh, indictment on Trump is because he actually this this is when you these are the when you know it's bogus that one of the parts of furthering the conspiracy is Trump saying, "Look, these hearings are on TV. Yeah. You should watch." Yeah, and that's a furtherance of the conspiracy because there were lies that were told. If there's perjury here. And even when she she talks about uh, again the the uh, you know making unlawful false statements uh, to legislators, there is no evidence, and it's not in there that they were under oath stating something. Mm-hmm. And there's a complete difference. And as you pointed out before, you and I, when this was all going on said there are things that they're saying in public that they're not saying in court. Remember, we went after Giuliani for that. Right. And there and there is a difference. And you can stand in front of a microphone and lie to everybody. But if you file something officially in court or if you are uh, in court and you lie to the court, then you can be charged with that. And the question is, what exactly was the wording by his attorneys on these filings that she includes here, which is part of it? And she, you know, they everything was done on behalf of Donald Trump. That's how you pull him in. You basically, this is all about Trump. It's not about his attorneys. The prize is not Sidney Powell or Giuliani. The prize is Donald Trump. And so you pull him in. So the question then would be, let's say they filed something and they knew it was false. And again, I haven't seen what she's using as the evidence that they filed something in court and committed perjury. But if that is the case, then to what extent was then President Trump? uh, What did he know at that time? And what was he being told by those same individuals? Because we brought it up early on. Are his attorneys lying to him? Have they convinced him that this is the case, that this is what happened? Because you would have to, he would have, you would have to demonstrate that he knew. Now, I don't know if your lawyers uh, uh, file something on your behalf. I don't know to what extent that falls only on the lawyers if they commit, if it rises to perjury. Or they can charge the person that they represent, in this case, Donald Trump, and the campaign. So that would be my question on on the filings. Because what they were saying in, in, in interviews, what they were saying in court, two different things in their filings. I mean, here's one, for example, I just I'm going through some of the actual counts. All right. 
Uh, this is uh, do charge and accuse Jeffrey Bosard Clark with the offense of criminal attempt to commit false statements and writings mm. uh, or the uh, for the said accused individually and as a person concerned in the commission of a crime and together with unindicted co-conspirators in the county of Fulton in the state of Georgia on between the 28th of December and uh, January 2nd unlawfully with intent to commit the crime of false statements and writings knowingly uh, knowingly and willfully made a false writing and document knowing the same to contain the false statement that the United States Department of Justice has identified significant concerns that may have impacted the outcome of the election in multiple states, including the state of Georgia. Uh, said statement being within the jurisdiction of the office of the Georgia Secretary of State and the Georgia Bureau of Investigation and Agencies on or about the December 28th, the said accused sent an email to the acting U.S. Attorney General and acting U.S. State Deputy Attorney and requested authorization to send such false writing and documents to the governor and the speaker uh, on or about January 2nd. The said accused met with the acting United States Attorney and acting United States Deputy Attorney and requested authorization to send false writing and document to the Georgia governor and uh, the speaker again. And said acts constituted substantial steps towards the commission of false statements and writings. Now, I don't know what false statements and writings mean under the law, but what she is saying is he went and said and told people, this is this is what I believe happened. Right. Apparently, it doesn't say that it was in count 22 that it was actually submitted. But because he said it and said, I wish to submit these documents to the governor that. Submitting documents that are false to a governor. Is illegal in the state of Georgia, is that illegal in the United States? Because it's all speech. And that's actually one of the... I just happened to come upon that I was as I was finishing going through uh, the, 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 the different uh, uh, counts. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, and it's criminal attempt to commit false statements and writings. And my question is, what, at, I, at what point does it rise to, to a crime? Right. I, I don't... Uh, I don't under... I, you know, frankly, I don't understand what that law actually means, because anything that I see there is protected under the First Amendment of the Constitution. I can write to the governor and tell him something that's false. Can I not? And if that is actually the law in the state of Georgia, it's unconstitutional. Well, and, But and, I don't know that that's what the law actually states. Well, and, and that gets to my point that I was making earlier. L- let's say they broke a law by, I don't know, what filing something that was false. How do you prove that they knowingly filed something or did something that was false? How do you know that they didn't believe it at the time? If this is what they believed at the time, where's the proof that shows you they knew something, but Mm -hmm. they acted in another manner? But I say you don't even need to go that far. 
Sure. Because it, yeah. because does it matter whether the statement is, look, we know politicians lie all the time. Yeah. What you're saying is if there's no law there, if it, if they didn't break the law, then you don't even have to get to that. No, exactly. But right. but that would be that would be the whole point is that. All right. You're you're saying these statements. Filings broke the law, demonstrate the law that was broken. And demonstrate how you know that they knew that they were false. If they believed to be something that it was true, if Trump believed things that were true, or he believed them to be true, you know, because she brings in all of his tweets here. He was convinced by his attorneys, we asked this then, that these things were true. Where's the proof that he knew they weren't true? You know, when, when you when you look at it, for example, you know, if you lie on a legal form to the to the court, as you know, that you can prosecute that. Yeah. They're taught what they're talking about is lying to politicians. Now, we have stated before civilly, as you saw with the Fox lawsuit, the lawyers screwed themselves. Completely. Eventually, Trump may, you know, get it in a civil lawsuit for defamation. But that was, if you look at the defamation that uh, Fox lost, and now they're going after a lot of the attorneys, Mm. uh, you know, with with the same thing. You're talking about a private company that has been defamed. You're not talking about telling lies because lies are told about politicians all the time Mm -hmm. and politicians lie to each other on a consistent basis so when does it become when you say false statements knowingly making false statements you could take that okay if you make a false statement you can be prosecuted well no the false statement would have to be somewhere on a legal document or in a legal setting where you are under oath and make a false statement. Making a generalized false statement to a governor is not a crime. Those are all protected under the First Amendment. And so when they use that law, I wonder, and I haven't had time to look at the actual Georgia law and go through it all just because of time constraints. Well, I'm looking at uh, the Georgia law uh, that's cited under... uh, Count 22 that that we just brought up. Criminal attempt, conspiracy, and solicitation. Uh, and criminal attempt. A personal uh, or a person commits the offense of criminal attempt when, with intent to commit a specific crime, he performs any act which constitutes a substantial s- step toward the commission of that crime. Wow. What's, what's the crime? The crime is falsely overturning or changing the outcome of an election. That's not a crime. Show me where that is. Now, if you if you were telling if you were if I'm making false statements to you in order to illegally get money from you by telling you a lie, that's a whole different ball game. Mm-hmm. 
because that's a criminal act. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. This is going to be interesting. Well, it's really interesting to see what happens. You know, it's because it reeks of everything else. You've got all these counts of what? Now, perjury is real. That's something that all of us laymen can understand, right? Mm-hmm. That in a, an official filing or under oath, that you lied to the court. And that's where I would get to the you know question of, all right, what do the filings look like and exactly how were they worded? Because if they state things like, if they use words like, we believe, we suspect, then you've got nothing. You've got nothing. Because if they suspect something, they have to prove it. And just going to court isn't against the law, even if what you suspect is wrong. That's not a lie. It's what you suspect. 866-90-RED-EYE. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. In front of radio, he's Eric Hardy, and I'm Gary McNamara. We'll keep uh, looking at uh, this uh, indictment and analyzing it. Get to some of your comments, too, coming up, 866-90-RED-EYE. Again, this is, you know, what what you do have, as reading Andrew McCarthy's column, saying this would be the most perilous because Georgia actually has, you know, uh, and many states have actually uh, laws based on uh, Uh, state elections the interesting thing is here you know the rico statute for example which uses everything across the country actually should be a federal charge should it not when you look at it uh yeah he explains that as to typically why in this new york post article and we can expand on that coming up Top of the Hour News is brought to you by House Products. Visit HouseProducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and around the planet, we are Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Welcome and good morning. 
Download our app today, our Red Eye Radio app. Listen where you and where and when you want if you can't listen live overnight. I want to play uh, some uh, audio here. This is from uh, Alan Dershowitz last night on Fox News. And this is when the indictments were uh, announced. He was also analyzing it from the information that had come out in the afternoon when, for some reason, on the DA's website, mm-hmm. the indictment came down before the grand jury had actually heard it, Yeah, which caused a ton of 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 controversy and some believe that it is uh uh you know that trump could use that as a violation of his due process first thing that i thought of and and so we'll see about that but this is alan dershowitz when asked about the conspiracy uh uh, charges here last night uh on fox news he was asked this well first of all nobody should take it all seriously the fact that there was a grand jury indictment it means nothing it's the prosecutor who indicted the best evidence of that is that it was on his website before the grand jury even voted now the whole strategy of all these four cases is to get a conviction before the election even if they're going to lose on appeal i used to teach my students many of them future prosecutors if you bring a rico case that increases your chances of winning a trial and losing on appeal. The same thing is true with conspiracy and other cases involving mental states. And so all four of these cases are designed to get quick, quick convictions in jurisdictions that are heavily loaded against Donald Trump. And these prosecutors don't care as much as prosecutors generally do about having the convictions reversed on appeal, because that will happen after the election, which only goes to prove what I've been arguing now for for months, if you're going after the man who's running against your incumbent president, you would darn well better have the strongest case possible. And these are among the four, at least three of them, three weakest cases I've ever seen against any candidate. We don't know about the fourth, but it seems like it's very much like the D.C. case. And if you're going after the man running for president against your person, you have to have the strongest case. Otherwise, it becomes a banana republic. Anybody can prosecute anybody. And we're opening the door to prosecution of Democrats by Republicans, Republicans by Democrats. It's what Alexander Hamilton wrote in The Federalist is the most dangerous threat to democracy. And we're seeing it unfold in front of our eyes very, very tragically. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Trump supporter. But I care deeply about the Constitution. I care deeply about preserving the rule of law. And we're seeing it being frittered away for partisan political purposes. No, it's being used as a weapon. And we're we're seeing it over and over again. And he's absolutely right. And it's one of the things that concerns me of of going through this indictment, you know, um, then this idea, because he has said this before, uh, Dershowitz has, and it repeats in my mind as I read through this indictment of, well, gosh, if you can prosecute this, you can prosecute anything. And any time that there is a challenge to an election, tell me how it wouldn't be uh, prosecutable if you believe this is actionable. These items are actionable. Well, you know, the interesting thing is what was viewed as the basis of this, uh, that Trump, uh, you know, the Trump phone call to the Georgia Secretary of State. Uh, you know, that, he, you know, find the whole find the votes thing, mm-hmm. that that's not a part. I scanned it, didn't see it, and it's been reported that's not a part of the indictment. Mm-hmm. That's really amazing when what was viewed as the strongest part 
the strongest thing, which we didn't believe, mm-hmm. well, you know, was the, the was a strong case based on that call, doesn't appear in the indictment. Mm. That to me is fascinating. Yeah, because again, you have to parse out in the legal setting what it means, and again, where it breaks the law, where it crosses the legal line, and. They're not going to be able to demonstrate that on things. The only my only the only one that sticks out to me is when you use the words uh, the word perjury. Okay, that's a very definitive. It is very clear where you cross the legal line there. So. Where's the evidence of that? What are the filings? What are the what? How were the filings worded? Because, again, if his attorney's filed something that said, we believe or suspect, then you've got nothing. That's not perjury. If they're attempting to legally get recourse for something that, the, and again, if it's worded that way, if if they're saying we can demonstrate clearly that this happened, this happened, and this happened, when they didn't have anything to demonstrate that, then you may have a case for perjury. And I don't, other than that, Trump tweeting or making phone calls or saying things or his speech doesn't rise to criminal behavior. And it's exactly what what Dershowitz points out here. Well, you're going to win on appeal, but appeal is going to be in 2028. You know, when... um when uh, Sidney Powell was basically, you know, kicked off the, uh, yeah, the, uh, I guess the uh, wouldn't be the campaign, but it would be his his defense, and they claimed that she wasn't, but she was, she was, uh, and and this is when she was going after, remember the governor and the secretary of of uh, state of mm-hmm. of Georgia, mm-hmm. and said that uh, basically they had taken bribes from Dominion. Mm-hmm. And at that, remember that night when we came in, and I mm-hmm. looked at you and said, yeah. "My God, Dominion has a lawsuit here." Now that lawsuit hasn't been settled, but we've seen the lawsuit uh, that that Fox lost, mm-hmm. and you know, now that was a private company that they had attacked their credibility when all that matters. If you're selling election equipment, as they do all over the world, apparently, is credibility. Yeah. So they were able to actually win a huge lawsuit. Mm -hmm. But in it, we said, well, when it comes to the politicians suing, you know, you still have to prove malice. And they never did. Right. The politicians never, the the, uh, Georgia Governor Kemp and the Secretary of State at the time did not uh, they did not file any charges. So uh, there are still the lawyers, the, you know, the lawyers for Trump. These lawsuits are still active. Uh, when they brought up Smartmatic, for example, and Smartmatic was only involved in one county, we had said at the time, get ready for another lawsuit. Right. Yeah. Because you're blaming. You're, it's so it, defamation was so crystal clear. And in our legal system, if you defame someone, you do have recourse 
under civil law. Uh, And so if you wish to file a civil lawsuit, that's one thing. To criminalize speech and make the speech a part of a, from from what I can see, and again, I'm going to go over it again, I just read the, the uh, you know, in the first hour, I ended up, you know, finishing reading the not, you know, scanning the 93-page uh, uh, document. So I'm admitting there's things I may have missed in it, but I don't think I did based on fully reading, you know, everything that backed up what the charges were going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what you're saying is there's a there's a criminal enterprise of all free speech that and and in the Georgia law, if you file false statements that lead to a criminal act, for example, if I lie to you in order to commit fraud against you and take your money, as you because you actually read the law, and that seems to be what the law is stating. Mm-hmm. Well, here it's like well the the uh, the criminal acts are the line to commit the crime of lying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's where, to me, it falls apart. Uh, I, may be, I may be too simplistic there. Those are just, you know, top of, top of my mind thoughts when, you know, when, uh, when looking at it. Now, Dershowitz gets into, as he should, the 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 fact because Dershowitz, who again is a Democrat and not a Trump fan at all, never been a a Trump fan, uh, you know, has been very blunt and said this is a banana republic, that this is about going after. When you see everything that the, when you look at the Bragg case, when you look at the January sixth case, when you look so far from what we know in in this case, and again, like I said, further reading of this. Uh, by me and going through all the different laws of Georgia is going to be necessary in order to come to a final conclusion. But if you look at, at, at this, you know, those three, and then if you look at the two-tier system of justice, uh, and you and I have always believed that the, uh, the strongest case against Trump is did he have top-secret defense intelligence and try to keep it. That's the strongest case. But the fact is, we still don't believe that should be prosecuted because there's extenuating circumstances. They haven't proved their case. But the allegation, if that allegation is true, is pretty easy. Either it was top secret or it wasn't, and you had Especially it. if they can demonstrate that he right. knowingly shared that information with people who did not have clearance. Right. And, and that's still to be seen, as even Dershowitz says. Right. He goes, you know, that's sort of hearsay at the moment uh and you know except for trump waving it but you don't know what trump's waving right and he claims he he wasn't so you would need somebody with expertise to 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 know that but that is more of a straightforward here's the law here's this now the problem with that is the two-tier system of justice because of the special circumstances of being president of the united states and knowing that hillary did worse and Biden may have done worse, and there is no call and has never been any call. In fact, what Comey said about uh, 
uh, uh, Hillary was, yeah, she broke the law, but, uh, you know, no reasonable prosecutor would prosecute it. Right. Is that what's happening now? Unreasonable prosecutors are prosecuting? That's it's exactly the opposite. <laughs> More to come. 866-90-RED-EYE. Independence with carrier authority should be mindful that negotiation strength varies as the week progresses. Typically, the highest rates across major segments are paid for loads negotiated on Sundays, and the highest volume of loads for all segments is seen on Mondays, also the weekday that tends to be the best for flatbed negotiations, yielding the best rates. Owner-operators tend to have less negotiation strength on Tuesday, which shows the lowest weekday spread between brokers' offered rates and actual paid rates. Broker offers tend to rise by Wednesday as the end of the week is in sight. This day also seems optimal for the 3 o'clock hustle, so-called for its reliance on that afternoon time of day, when brokers are getting nervous, to improve negotiation strength. Stay mindful of this system to maximize your revenue. Owner-Operator Business 101 is provided by Shell Rotella with advanced synthetic technology. For more information, go to OverdriveOnline.com to the Overdrive's Partners in Business section of the website. For more detail on Business 101 and many other topics, Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll-free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Friday Radio. He is Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Let's head to you. We go to Matt in Tennessee. Matt, welcome. You're on Red Eye Radio. Welcome to the show. Hello. How are you guys doing? Very good. Good evening. I just really three quick points. One, we all know that everyone has the First Amendment right, but when you conspire and when you fraud, it all starts with free speech. That's, that's my first point. Okay, but there's, again, again the, the, uh, when you talk about that, nobody's denying that. Nobody is saying on this show that fraud should not be prosecutable. That's not being stated, so that doesn't apply to this discussion. Because, because, I, because we've, gone, we've gone through when they say false statements. False statements can be prosecuted civilly. We've gone through this point by point. So you can do it, but it's the criminal charge. Now, if you're saying fraud, as we have stated and been specific on it, if you commit if you commit fraud in order to get money from somebody, yes. But if you say, for example, under this law, Stacey Abrams should be in jail in Georgia because she still denies that she lost the election to the Senate from what year was that, 2018? Mm-hmm. From 2018, she's still out there as a Democrat. And and so if false statements, and she told false statements to everybody is prosecutable, she should be in jail and nobody has ever advocated that. Go ahead. What's your second point? The second point is about uh, Trump's attorneys. Uh, Trump's attorneys represent Trump. But if there is anything that is illegal from their point of view, they're going to have Trump sign a waiver stating such because the attorneys have a <clears throat> uh, have a boss 
looking over their cases to make sure they did everything right. So if you don't think that those attorneys are going to cover themselves, they no, will. No, 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 no. So, no, that's not the way it works. Actually, it's why you hi- it's the other way around. The reason you hire attorneys is because they know the law, and if you don't know the law, they're there to advise you and guide you and represent you. That's how it works. They, they, don't, they don't say, hey, we need you to sign off on this so we get a disclaimer because you're leading us. It doesn't work that way. Um, I, can, I can send you a uh, – if you give me an email, I can send you a copy of such, and you will be surprised because – well, no, I mean, if you're talking about where a where someone wants to go on the witness stand and the and the attorney is advising otherwise, then they can have disagreements. But if you're talking about him misleading him, trying to get them to break the law, there's not an attorney, even the worst attorney on the planet that would do that. And if they if they did, it would be painfully obvious and that's what the claim would be by his team. That's not even the case here. Yeah, so you're, you're bringing your up things point? that, yeah, bring up the yeah. third point because it yeah. doesn't relate to anything that so we're talking about. So what was your next about. point? Okay, and the third point is if if Trump is so innocent, as they say, this is the place where he wants to be. He wants to be in court. He wants to prove that he is right. And then the whole of America course. would vote for this man. Well, sure, if he believes, if he believes he's innocent, wouldn't, wouldn't you want to be in court if you believed you were innocent and being falsely charged? Yes, but Trump of course. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, then you agree with Trump. You would do what Trump would do, right? Yeah, he's not pleading guilty. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's, yeah. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, let's quickly go to Tony in Arlington, Texas. Tony, welcome. You're on Red Eye Radio. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Good morning. Uh, the the premise that Trump has is not about overturning the election. That has the wrong connotation that's being pushed. He believed he won the election and he was pleading with Raffsenberger. Uh, all the examples, all the instances of fraud, any one of which would be significant enough to overturn the election. The call is available online. It's an hour call. Yeah, but as we just stated, Tony, yeah, we just while while you were listening, uh, we stated the fact that that's the call is not in the indictment, yeah, which they, which they actually know. which which that, actually makes the case weaker. So to say to to bring it up as part of this case right now is moot because it's not in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there, but what what is in there is they're trying to say he was trying to. Get conspire with people to oh. overturn the election. Right, and he as trying to protect. Well, right, and that's the whole. That's the whole point. The we, just, we just had right. that discussion. Right. If he Thanks, believes, Tony. if he believes that's the truth, but even if it's a lie and he wished to overturn the election, there is no crime. Right. Fourth branch of government, Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. And he's Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Uh, the other thing is the whole thing of that the the the, the crime would be, uh, you know, the the conspiracy or the RICO Act would be the conspiracy of all the what we view as political free speech. Even and and, you know, but what she's saying is 
the conspiracy is all the free speech, which isn't free speech because it ended up in a crime. And we said, well, what is the specific crime? Well, one of the things that you read about in it, and I don't know how they would present it, would be the electors. They wish to have fake electors, right? Mm -hmm. And that actually is the crime because that's upending the actual system, the legal system, and that would be against the law. Well, you go back to uh, an analysis, because we live in the bubble of today, Hmm. and Byron York uh, from the Washington Examiner, this has been rehashed over the last couple of hours and been posted again from January 18th, 2022. Uh, Here's a short version from the the Democrats and the allegations, and this is what you actually see part of, you know, her indictment. Trump supporters in a few states, Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, Nevada, Michigan, and New Mexico were so brazen, this is the allegation, that in the days before December 14th, when the Electoral College voted to confirm Joe Biden's victory, they actually forged documents falsely purporting to be electro, electoral college results for Trump and sent them to the appropriate authorities in Washington and in their home states. Then they planned to use the forgeries to steal the election on January 6, 2021, all the while they hoped that no one would notice. That's the allegation, and that's the allegation she actually makes in it. Uh, and it says, and then he writes, it was a previously unknown, mysteriously coordinated effort to have Republicans in multiple states forge election documents after the last election and present them as fake electors to the Electoral College, MSNBC's Rachel Maddow said recently. In an earlier program referring specifically to Wisconsin, she said the fraudulent electors met in a concerted effort to ensure that they would be mistaken, and as a result, their deliberate forgery and fraud for Wisconsin's legitimate presidential electors chosen by the mechanism described under the U.S. Constitution and Wisconsin law. As he writes, the reality is less exciting than that. It's actually a lot less exciting than that. After the November 3rd, 2020 voting, and this is what Trump will argue, very Trump very publicly challenged the results of the le- the election. He filed lots of lawsuits, most of which were thrown out. None succeeded, but some took a while to make their way through the courts. The law required the Electoral College to meet in the states on December 14th to approve slates of electors. Those would then be sent to Washington, where Congress would certify them, On January 6th, on December 14th, in the states that Joe Biden won, including all the states listed above, electors for Biden met to formalize their votes. But on the 14th, there were a number of Trump lawsuits still pending in those states. The Trump team's thinking went like this. The election is still not finally settled. What if Trump were to win one or more of those lawsuits? And a judge were to throw out the results in one or more of the states. You might view this as a fantasy. Indeed, it was. But in some cases, Trump supporters thought they had a strong legal case that would prevail if only a judge would hear it. In the event that a court threw out Biden's victory in any state, Trump would need a slate of electors to cast electoral votes for him. 
And by law, the electors had to have voted on December 14th. If Trump won a case, the state's results were thrown out and Trump had no electors, then the whole election challenge would be a waste. So in some states, Trump supporters decided to choose electors on December 14th on a contingency basis. That is, the electors would be selected, and if at a later date Trump prevailed in court and Biden's electors were disqualified, the Trump electors would be presented to Congress on January 6th. Now, there was no realistic chance of that happening, but many of the Trump supporters were not ready to give up. The Trump supporters, often Republican Party officials, met to choose Trump electors on December 14th. I look specifically into the case of Georgia, which seems to be representative of the other states. Here are some of the things to know. First of all, what the Republicans were doing was not a secret. They announced it. They were promoting it. They invited the press to cover it. They tweeted about what they did. There were news accounts of it. How Rachel Maddow came to believe that it was previously unknown is not clear. We were told by the lawyers that if the Trump nominees for the Electoral College did not meet on December 14th and cast their votes, then Trump's lawsuit would be mooted because there would be no remedy available to him if he prevailed, said David Schaefer, head of the Georgia Republican Party, who took part and signed the documents. So we met to preserve his remedies if he prevailed. The group met in the Georgia capital of Atlanta the same day that Biden electors were meeting elsewhere in the building. The GOP had invited reporters to come. Some did. From both local and national outlets, you can read the this account of their meeting. An electoral college formalizes Biden's win. Trump backers hold their own vote in the Washington Post. Just to make sure everyone knew what was happening, Schaefer tweeted what had been done within an hour of the meeting's conclusion. Because the president's lawsuit contesting, this is a quote, because the president's lawsuit contesting the Georgia election is still pending. The Republican nominees for presidential elector met today at noon in the state capitol and cast their votes for president and vice president, Schaefer tweeted. We had uh, had we not met today and cast our votes, the president's pending election contest would have been eventually effectively mooted. Our action today preserves his rights under Georgia law because you preserve the process. Right. And Republicans in other states did the same and explained so publicly. The Washington Post talked to GOP officials in other states who gave the same explanation. So, again, you might think this was all fantasy. It had zero chance of succeeding. But there was no secrecy involved and no claim that the electors chosen were the real electors. There was only an explanation of the, that if Trump won his lawsuits and the court threw out the election results, then Trump electors would be available. There was simply no fraud involved. It was a contingency plan that was heavily promoted. Meadows and others, including today, also accused the Republicans of forgery. Hmm. What about that? The charge arises from the fact that the documents the Republicans created had some of the same wording as the documents signed by the winning Biden electors. For example, one page of the Georgia State of Electors said, 
We, the understand, being of duly elected and qualified electors for president and vice president of the United States from the state of Georgia, do hereby certify the following. Of course, they were not duly electors. They were sending in their their votes in case, as a result of court action, they became the duly uh, elected electors. So that was their point. They would be the duly electors if the court decision went their way. So they wrote it that way. Right. Some states states made explicit reference to the contingent nature of the electors. For example, New Mexico documents said we the undersigned on the understanding that it might be later determined that we are the duly elected and qualified electors for president and vice president of the United States of America from the state of New Mexico to hereby certify the following. That made it much more explicit than the document was uh, that the document was contingent and not the actual claim. I asked Schaefer why he did not choose the same sort of contingency language, why he chose instead to use the exact language of the winner's electoral state. Why not change the forms a bit to indicate that it was a provisional state of electors? Uh, quote, we completed the forms exactly as prescribed by law, Schaefer said. We did not alter them because we were told that any alterations would be grounds for dismissing the lawsuit for lack of available remedy. Whatever it was, it was not forgery. But in the end, it all depended on the entirely unrealistic hope that Trump would somehow succeed in court, and that was not going to happen. The slate of electors were contingent on an event that did not occur, and the signers of those states knew that, and that's why the Republican head in Georgia wrote and explained exactly what was going on. Right. So where's the fraud? Because that's part of the whole indictment is that was a fraud. The fake electors is part of the fraud and part of trying to destroy the system and the system that the Republicans were depending on, the Republicans in Georgia, in cooperation with the Trump campaign, was if the judge's ruling. Right. They were building a contingency plan. Right. Which is not illegal. In fact, they followed the process to make sure that it was preserved in the event that they won in court. How is that difficult? Well, it's not when you're a reasonable person. But if you're an unreasonable prosecutor, you just throw it all in. The attempt here is is is, is a couple of things. They want Trump to be the nominee because they believe mm-hmm. then he'll lose. And then they want to convince anybody who's I guess, in the middle or anybody at all, ultimately, they want to demonstrate the chaos of the Trump campaign and how it played out. In this case, how the Trump campaign and the Trump organization between November of 2020 and January of 2021, how chaotic things were. We said to you then that the whole thing uh, was going to be exactly what the left uses but now of course you're going to have to use everything possible in your arsenal including indictments which are based on nothing they're based on words the only exception to that i would say is if they can prove perjury if his lawyers filed something in court and it rises to perjury and again show me what that is Show me the wording of those filings and where it rises to perjury. Then you, you've you got a case. 
but this isn't i don't think they they don't have any concern whether or not they win you get the the initial indictment and then yeah it's overturned years down the road but it's important as we're doing though to go over yep. the legal oh, thing yeah. so people oh, un- yeah. so people can understand oh, precisely no, no, no. I think that's what, that is what the point, it is how yeah. empty this whole thing is right. and I, and so in many times and we probably in the next couple of days as we get to read the indictment much more thoroughly. Well, Margo Cleveland went through it a few hours ago. It's just, this is nuts. This is crazy. Oh, did she, she really? She got a, a great, oh, yeah, she's oh, got a great thread. Um, and a- On Twitter? Uh, yeah. Oh, and okay. so, uh, in fact, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll repost that here in a minute. And all of those things, though, if you, if you look at it, look how empty they are. What, what the American people deserve to know is how empty this case is, and that's our whole <laughs> right. Yeah, she's she's just going crazy. I just the first thing yeah. I see, Margaret Cliff's thread. Oh my gosh! Yeah, are they for real? Yeah, right. No, I mean it's, and and it's. Uh, let's let's see here. All right. So so here's the thing. You know, uh, you're right. This is why we bring it up. This is why we break it down because it's important for the American people oh. to learn exactly what they're using here you see the first thing she brings up act uh, 22 yeah yeah uh, honor about the third day of december 2020 donald john trump caused the uh caused uh to be tweeted from the twitter account of uh at real donald trump georgia hearings are now on oann amazing this yeah. was an overt act in the furtherance of the conspiracy we that's the first yeah. thing that we noted as we were scanning it that's the first thing she brings up number two lol it wasn't even, even a mean, mean tweet. tweet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So uh, there you go. Uh, all right. All right. So I'm, I'm reposting. And, and there that it is. Act, Act 23 is right there about the the electors, which yeah, right, which uh, Byron York covered and said that's not. The case, because that would be the thing, because because we're like, well, what's the crime? What's the crime? We're like, well, the electors go, well, that's not a Well, crime. if anything, that, that, that they can demonstrate very clearly, it is the whole electors process and why they were doing what they were doing. They can demonstrate that all across the board. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Uh, we'll have more. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot more. Well, because we're doing this on the fly. I mean, you're, what everybody's hearing here is us <laughs> going through this for the first time. Yeah, yeah. But somebody has to do it because there's very little analysis out there right? since the indictment has come out. So. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now, it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, 
Welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world. Good morning. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Thank you for being here this morning. You're right. Uh, you know, the, I was reading some of the analysis, just actually not the analysis from Margot Cleveland, just her comments. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, just, I mean, these aren't even, this is even, a, I mean, it is uh, looking at one, what is this act? Uh, I, I don't, I'm going to make sure I'm staying where I want to stay here. Mm. Uh, this is act 96. Mm. Uh, on or about the 27th day of December, Mark Randall Meadows sent a text message to the office of secretary of state Chief Investigator Francis Watson that states in part, is there a way to speed up the Fulton County signature verification in order to have the results before January 6th if the Trump campaign assists financially? This was an overt act of furtherance of the conspiracy. And she writes, asking a question. She's like, because the S word <laughs> yeah, yeah. for manure the blank they are pulling here is unreal. Yeah. How dare they push to have signatures verified? Right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, it's and, and then when we look at here, because this is this is the key that we had because we were just examining this. And, and by the way, thanks, everybody, because normally when we come on the air and analyze something, We've had plenty of time to, you know, we've had plenty of time. We've had a day at least, you know, normally or a couple of days to look at something, mm -hmm. you know, and, and analyze it completely. Uh, this 90-something page indictment, I never even attempted to start reading it because I didn't get a chance to because I didn't see it until I actually got here uh, at uh, at work. So, in the first hour, as we were doing the show, we're both going through the the actual uh, indictment and still going through because for 93 pages, you had to speed read some of it. Right. And so during some of the breaks, you know, we were trying to catch up and, and finally got got to all of it, at least as I call it for myself, three quarters, uh, you know, speed read through it. Uh, but as we go as we go through more of it, you just see how ridiculous this is. It really it is mind boggling. It really is. Uh, right here, uh, on or about the 7th day of December, Donald uh, J., uh, J. Trump committed the felony offense of solicitation of violation of an oath by a public officer in violation uh, of the, the law in Fulton County, Georgia, by unlawfully soliciting, requesting, and importuning Speaker of the House Georgia Representative David Ralston, a public officer, to engage in conduct consisting the felony offense of violation of oath by a public officer, by calling a special session of the Georgia General Assembly for the purpose of unlawfully appointing presidential electors from Georgia in willful and intentional violation of the terms of oath of said uh, person as prescribed by law with the intent of said person to engage in such conduct. This was an overt act of furtherance of the conspiracy. As we all know, when it came to the electors, they actually were very quite clear about it, as Byron York wrote back, and it's being used already as part of the evidence, will be used as part of the evidence in all likelihood for Trump stating, no, all of this was a contingency. That they were, everything was based on what the courts said. Yep. If the courts said something, then 
you know, then if the courts went their way, then they had their electors ready to go. Yeah, exactly. You're building a legal contingency plan. I don't even know how that made it in. I don't know how that made it in. Because what she seems to be doing, again, it's early, but what she seems to be doing here is just throwing any action. She just, what she's saying is their attempt to, and I'll say challenge the election, she says falsely overturn the election. Anything, any step along the way that works toward that is illegal. Yeah. This is such an overcharge, in my opinion. I I can't wait till Andrew McCarthy breaks this down. Because it, it, it looks like a massive overcharge. Now, here's what, at the end of her thread, let me get back to it here. Here's what Margot Cleveland uh, brings up her last, a couple hours ago, uh, <laughs> her last in the thread was, uh, more thoughts tomorrow, yawn. <laughs> so she's, so she will, uh, she'll break it down, no, no doubt. But her final thought on, on the analysis was, so other than intentional false statements under oath to investigators or during Georgia hearing, which may or may not be actionable, That's what we were asking. The complaint is a bunch of nonsense, but there is so much crap thrown in, it's hard to decipher whether (laughs) anything has technical legs. No, she's absolutely right. You throw, and that's what she did. Any step toward, because what she's saying is, well, the ultimate crime would be falsely overturning the election So anything that works to that end, which is actually challenging the results of the election, is part of the conspiracy, part of the racketeering and and false under RICO. That's such hogwash. And I thought the stuff from from New York was bad. Well, when you when you look at it, because you look at the the, we're talking about state crimes here and she's talking about the whole federal conspiracy, as, Mm. as she calls it. Uh, but when you when you look specifically at Georgia, and that's why you know we thought it was uh, worthwhile to read the Byron York column from uh, Washington Examiner back in January of 2022, where he said, "Well, look, here's what the actual, you know, the Republican leader said when it came to the electors that this was a contingency, and they made it clear that it was about a contingency in case they won in court. Well, the, is that a conspiracy?" If you're saying the court may overturn this, so we're doing a contingency, so we're ready, because if we're not ready with the electors, and this is what I believe the Trump campaign will argue, we're not ready for the electors, then then we don't have a case because there is no solution, and therefore the election the, that it it you know the court may go with the Biden electors at that point because there were no Trump electors. If that's the case that they're arguing, there's nothing here, but they throw so much. They so much throw so much crap in there and then throw the law in there. And then we look and say, well, does the law even apply uh, in, in this particular thing where it, this all this all has to be? I mean, you're going to see probably a tr- 
ton of pre-trial motions here. Yeah. Saying, wait a minute, this isn't even a, this isn't even against the law. And, and this, when you actually read it, and when you start reading it as I'm doing now a second time, <laughs> going through now, not not going from beginning to the end, jumping back and forth, just looking at some of the interesting things, or for example, looking for the ultimate crime. Look, in fact, that's what we've been doing, actually. So we're not going from beginning to end anymore. We're scanning to see. All right. So this is a conspiracy to commit. The ultimate crime, Mm -hmm. there has to be an ultimate crime. Otherwise, there's no conspiracy. If the conspiracy is to talk and send a particular message, that's one thing. If the conspiracy is so one person commits perjury in an area is that even a con- conspiracy or is that perjury by that one person? Right. So that's where this seems to be that where you know, it seems is where it seems she's looking at the crime is the fraud of fake electors as they call them. Well, and, or and as all the, aimed at the the big crime, all aimed at corruptly reversing the election outcome. She uses, if she's using the word corruptly, the question is, was it, did it rise to corruption? Well, if you're, if you're, everything is based on a judge's, a judge's ruling or the court's ruling, how can that enterprise be corrupt? Exactly. Would be my question. Exactly. Because it implies that the enterprise has authority to go in and make those things happen. In other words, you can go in and you can legally challenge a number of things and then the court can look at you and go, yeah, get out and toss it. You can go in and and file a suit against anybody. But without merit, it's nothing. Now, if you bring in false evidence and file that, again, if there's a filing where they presented something false, then that's perjury. All depends. If you say, here's our allegation, and that's your argument that's what I was saying earlier. to the judge. That's what I was saying earlier. That is if not, you, if you that's, state not it as, that's not perjury. No, if you state it as fact, but I don't know of any filing where any lawyer would state it as fact, it would be something of, and this is what I said last hour, if we we believe or we suspect these things happen, there's no perjury there. That's not perjury. Right. That's saying we're challenging this because this is what we believe happened. Right. And and no judge in any of the cases charged charged perjury. Right. You know, said, look, there's this is perjury exactly. here. You need to prosecute but, perjury but, in this particular exactly. case within in this particular courtroom. Right. And the prosecutor here is also using uh, this Georgia law that basically if you present anything false to any agency at all within the state, city, county, or state, then you violate the law. Well, that's not the proper interpretation of the law. She's taking that and stretching that out. Because that's to say that if you go in and say, I believe this, and, I, and it's wrong, uh, during the uh, during the uh, uh, break earlier, you meant, you mentioned like challenging your property uh, on the uh, tax assessment, challenging the if they right. come back and the appraisal district says 
it's the value is this. And you come in and say, no, the value is much lower in order to uh, maintain lower taxes. You know, it would be one thing if you showed up with a picture of a shack and that wasn't your house. And you said, this is my house. This is a picture of my house. Okay, well, that you can demonstrate clearly is fraud. But if you go in and challenge it and say, no, this is what we're challenging. This is I I don't believe that. I believe you're wrong. That's not false well, information. I, I will say one thing. I took one time, that, and I just, I don't remember all the details. The one time that I actually did challenge, uh, you know, my, my property taxes, I went in and I went, I can make the argument based on the other home values, I can make an argument that I should be at this cost, which I said, there's no way they're going to give it to me because there's no way I'm valued that low but I believe I can make the argument. Mm. But in my mind, I knew it was too low, even though I could make what I thought was a legal argument based on the comps. And you could have done that without being wrong in the case. Let's just say that, well, that our state has that same law. You wouldn't be lying to that agency. Right. But even though I thought this is too low, it, right. sh- it, it, it shouldn't be that way. And the thing was, I lot, well, I, I learned that, in, at least with the people I was dealing with, what I figured was, okay, they'll do it somewhere in between. Okay, it'll be this. Mm-hmm. And that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. No. How it worked was, let, I'm, I'm just throwing out these numbers. Of, let, let, let's say, uh, you know, uh, they told me 300000 mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, probably what it's worth is two hundred and forty or two hundred and fifty. I think they're still a little high on it. But I can make the argument based on a few comps that are probably flawed. Mm-hmm. So I'll put it down to 200000 and I can make that argument based on this, 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 and this, even if it's, n- even if it's not com- the complete argument. It's my argument. Mm-hmm. And they'll do it somewhere in between, which will be the right one. That's what I was thinking. And they end up – I, I, by the way, it was two to one. There was one – one agreed with me that I actually had a point. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. But but I'm like, at that point, could you call that? What I learned is what you do is, no, you get that reasonable number, the one that I should have gone, which would have been at, you know, if it was 300, I went with 200 to get 250. I should have gone with 250, and I probably would have gotten it. Mm-hmm. But there was no, like, sorry, you don't get a second chance. Mm-hmm. It stays at the evaluation that we had. Yeah, it's their assessment of yours. Right. So what is a lie in that case? Right. Was I lying or did I think I could actually make, was I making an argument based on the information that they gave me from the comps that I picked, even though if I had picked other comps, it might have been higher? Well, it, it doesn't, but there, there's the thing. It falls within reason. Again, if you right. showed up with a, a, a picture of a 10 by 10 outdoor shed <laughs> and said, yeah, this is my house, then, okay, now you're lying and you know you're lying. You're 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 presenting I'm, I'm false presenting information, right. right? You know, so it, it, it's, well, you'd, be, you'd be pretty stupid to do that. <laughs> stupid to do it with with, yeah. the, with, with Google and oh, the set. Oh, you would be surprised <laughs> because, because because when I went when I went in there, it was, you know, when I went in there it was like, well, here's your house. I'm like, oh, geez, they have a yeah. micro, they have a microscope or something oh, or a telescope yeah. on my house. Yeah, can they see inside? You'd be surprised how how stupid people are when they're desperate for money, and that that's not necessarily money it's about it's about saving money but when people are trying to get money i've seen some pretty stupid things over the years but these are the things that you look at where did they if you know knowingly lie and this is where margot cleveland left it 
all right, well, if they if anybody lied to an investigator, of course, that's prosecutable. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you filed something that that was false, then, you know, that's prosecutable. With the judge. Yeah. Yeah. Right. In court. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if there are things that rise to perjury, then that's one thing. And you can clearly demonstrate them. But if you're saying that we they filed something in the case of perjury, they filed something and it was stated, we believe this happened, we believe this happened or suspect this happened, that's not perjury. 866-90-RED-EYE. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Friday Radio. He's Eric Carly, and I'm Gary McNamara. So from what I can see is the consensus is the conspiracy for forgery is the uh, Georgia electors, which Mm -hmm. clearly, if you look at what the head of the Republican Party in Georgia said at the time, it was contingency based on the what the judge, you know, if a judge reversed the ruling, the electors were about a contingency contingency, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, this is going to be interesting to see where this where where this, uh, um, you know. Where this goes, uh, some of the I guess the pretrial. Things on it and now it's going to be, OK, who goes first mm-hmm. in the actual trials? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Um it will be interesting to watch it because the first thing you want if you're the Trump team is to have these charges dismissed. I don't have any confidence that, that that's going to happen, um, but you certainly aim for that because they seem to be baseless charges. Again, if you're saying that challenging election results is a crime and anything you do to challenge election results is a part of that crime and rises to conspiracy because your organization, and it's always a political organization, it's not just one person, falls under that kind of racketeering law, then, wow, look out. You're sending a message. If this were to stand and 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 go into play, you're sending a message You can't ever challenge election laws or election results. You can, but if you're wrong, then it's prosecutable. If you believe, yeah, if you believe you're right, and that would be the whole point of a challenge, and you're not right, we're coming after you. Listening to Red Eye Radio from the Uniden America Studios.
It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara. You know, in the the uh, what happened in the background that the indictments were released by the DA earlier in the day. Yeah, and at that point, from what we know, the grand jury had not made a decision, and they were already releasing it. When you think about it, the perception of everything that happens. I mean, the, the I mean, things like this, you're like, oh, figures is going to happen. Right. And I mean, because because I, I point to, you know, Dershowitz going, the grand jury means nothing here. She released with the indictments where they were ready to go with it before they ever went to the grand jury. And you think about it, you know, you, you go in there and think think about how you and I still. And, and I believe we have a pretty good handle on it, you know, while we've been on the air really going over the 93-page, uh, you know, uh, I- indictment point by point by point. And I think that it's going to be pretty good, but I would not, you know, I would want if I was a juror in this case, and we've told everybody, you know, look, we just, you know, we woke up and when we got to work is when we saw it. That's how late this whole thing came out. And, and so... Uh, uh, if I was a juror, I'd have a lot more questions to ask the the DA in any grand jury session. Would you not? Oh yeah, and yeah. and so you look at it. And it's like wow, this ninety three page. You know how you know they presented it today, and they got indictments that quickly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you wonder, you go back and you remember that first grand jury and that woman, the nutcase that was all over the media. She's a nutcase, and you mm-hmm. think about that. She was basically the representative of that grand jury, and it's like after she was out the first night, nobody wanted to talk to her again No, because she was clearly odd, weird, strange, Yeah, you name it. It's like the last person that you would want to do any type of critical analysis, and I know I would, and even on a, even a grand jury indictment, I would do a critical analysis of it as to what is the law. And that's how we base everything. I don't care whether it's Trump or I don't care whether it's, uh, you know, Biden. Everything is based on when we analyze the legalities. I mean, we will separate civil from criminal. We will separate wrongdoing from criminal or civil. That, yeah, you know, well, wrongdoing it, that, that as to what it is. You're not getting that from the left at all on this if you look at their analysis. No, we can talk about things that are immoral, things that are illegal, and we can break it down, but it's important. And again, it's not, uh, in this case, it's not just about Trump. It's about the process and how the left is weaponizing everything. Prosecutors, the DOJ, all of it, the FBI, they're doing everything for their political favor. All of it. And... If they're willing to do this here and they get away with it, here's the thing. They don't need the win to keep this going. No. They don't need, you know, we always, um, there's a, you know, the running joke about the uh, Ninth Circuit, U.S. Court of Appeals. And how many of their decisions have been overturned over the years? Well, it doesn't it's not going to stop the makeup of that court. It's not going to stop what they do. Um, and it doesn't matter whether it's the prosecutor in Georgia or Bragg or any of them. 
They see this. This is their political mission. They see it as why they were elected. And if they don't win, they don't win. They move on to the next one. And they'll keep trying it. And this is what they're willing to do. Throw it at anybody and everybody who's in the opposition. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how big you are. They'll come after you. And that's what this is all about. I mean, it's a clear demonstration of how willing they are to weaponize anything and everything, even in this setting. And that's the thing is that they don't, because they don't need the victories, as soon as it's thrown out or they lose or whatever, they're on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't care because, again, they're not DAs. They're they're political activists. Right. Any, so any way that they, they can stretch. Yeah, they don't care if they're reversed yeah. down the road. It's right. like I'm... I'm a political activist right. dressed as a DA. Yeah. I don't I don't need to win. My win is tying people up in court. Or winning elections. Yeah. Well, no, that's that's what I was saying. W- winning they, winning they, elections they, they by act, they but, believe we're they believe they're elected to do that and that it wins for their side. They believe that's why they were voted in right. into office themselves. So they see that as the win. They don't care. You know, we've stated this before when you look at the left and the mindset of the left today on so many issues where they're insane, but also in their non-belief of the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this many times when you know they don't believe in the First Amendment. They don't, and they proudly proclaim it. I mean, there's not even a debate there. You can't have, if someone calls me up, well, no, they're not. Right. Well, you better not call because we'll give you We'll give you 10 different uh, uh, things that we have seen where they are against. Now, they believe they believe in the First Amendment, but it's not the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States. <laughs> yeah. It's the First Amendment that they have in their head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Their and, we, and we've seen it everywhere from wanting to control speech to mandating speech yeah. from the left. Right. And and so, you know, we know that we know the Second Amendment. We don't they don't believe in. They don't believe in our bicameral legislature. They don't believe no. in the Senate. They don't believe that the Senate should, uh, you know, uh, exist. They believe that a few states uh, should control the entire country because that's where you would get if the Senate did not uh, uh, exist. You would have a ton of states not wanting to be in the United States anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, because we've often over the years people have called up and said this is going to lead to a civil war it's going to be lead to it we went no no who are they going to fight who are they going to fight who are they going to fight if you do because this is never brought up by anybody when they talk about what would actually lead us to a silver to a, a silver war <laughs> a civil war uh well that would be uh getting rid of the Senate yeah, yeah. because where you create a civil war and where you would have want states seceding is if they had they had the belief that they were not represented in the laws that are being made in the country. And if the Senate doesn't exist, and that's why you see so yeah. many, yeah. whether you know it's parliamentary governments or 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 uh, you know uh, uh, us with an executive branch, the three branches 
the kind of bicameral legislature yeah. where you have a House and you have a Senate exists for a specific reason, understanding that you must have representation. People must believe that they are somehow represented in the larger government, especially when that larger government now has assumed much more power than the founding fathers ever wished oh, yeah. uh, for the federal government to have. The federal government was never supposed to be involved in everything that they're involved in. No. Yet they are. No. And and so it's even more important at that point, you know, and that's why you hear the Democrats will scream, we need to get rid of the Electoral College. We need to get rid of the Senate. And then they it dies for a while because they know they're not going to get that. Because if you don't have it, then well, states feel... Well, wait a minute. You know, we're Delaware. Mm. Uh, you know, California, Texas, Illinois, New York, and Florida decide the election. Yeah. What we think doesn't matter at all. You know, we actually get zero representation under that. And that's what causes us. What do you think caused the Civil War? Our first Civil War. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about. The Revolutionary War. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Taxation without representation was one of the biggest things driving that. Yep. That we had the 13 colonies didn't have a say in how uh, the government collected their taxes. You just paid it. Yep. And so... Um, you know, it's it's uh, and so when you have it there, don't why are you why would anybody be surprised that DAs would be okay with acting like uh, prosecutors in a banana republic? Let us go after the opposition candidate for president and throw as many charges as we possibly can, hoping that one sticks to destroy their possibility of winning the election. And it's been so obvious, as you and I said, I mean, when when you looked at this afternoon, how that thing was leaked out, which gives everybody the impression, you know, they already, you know, they already, you know, knew before they actually went, you know, this is the only thing that they were headed in was, you know, okay, here we go. We've released this. And then they pulled it back, had no explanation as to why it happened. Everything, the perception of Everything right now in the federal government is about management rot. Yeah, it is. And, it law, is. Enfor- and, and law enforcement rot. And DA rot. Throw everything you possibly can to defeat the candidate, but don't do it at the ballot box. Well, and, and that will be the attempt, too. They'll find, okay, where is the strongest... Right now, the strongest opposition that we face, in this case with the GOP. You find that candidate or two, and you go after them. You know, it's not new, for example, in the state of Texas. We've seen, we've seen. Yeah, we saw it with Rick Perry. Yeah, we saw, we've seen Democrat uh, DAs, you know, go after Republicans. Yep. And ultimately and drop the charges. They did it. Tom, against, De- uh, Tom DeLay. They yeah. Did to, you right. Know, too. And, and. Yep come up with bogus charges and go after right. the the opposition. It's done and has been done in states, has been done here in the state of Texas. So we're actually familiar with that. Yep. And 
And so, uh, but on the federal level, we've never seen anything like this at all in the history of the United States. And that has a heck of a lot of people worried, including long, 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 uh, long held Democratic, uh, 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 the Democratic views and liberal views of a Dershowitz yeah, or a Jonathan yeah. Turley who are looking at this in absolute horror and they don't, they don't plan on voting for Trump. No. no. They plan on voting for the Democrat and they look at this, they go, what the hell is going on in this country? And you even saw it after the brag, even people on the left went, well, this may not be the strongest Well, the, stuff. the day of that whole proceeding, Everybody was like, uh, we're, we're not sure what happened here. What are the charges? What are the charges? The media just kind of walked away from it going, uh, I guess we'll find out later. The indictments had nothing in them. They were empty. And this is exactly what you're seeing out of Georgia. Because what she's saying is challenging the election. There's the crime. Trying to overturn the results of the election. That's your crime. And anything you do toward that is part of the conspiracy. And she's throwing everything at it. 866-90-RED-EYE. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Friday Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Coming up following uh, the top of uh, the hour, more analysis on the Trump uh, indictments. We'll tell you about a major San Francisco retailer that uh, has condemned city uh, and state leaders in a full-page ad concerning crime. Did you see where is it in San Francisco? Hmm. Or in the federal building they told employees not to come in because crime's too bad? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you're going to get to that point where in these major metro areas, um, you're not you're just simply not going to have any kind of safe environment at all for if you're uh, an employer, if you if you're a retail establishment. This is why those retailers are saying, look, our customers and our employees are both in danger when they come to this part of town. What are we supposed to do? And also tell you about the group in Chicago that is asking gang members not to shoot people between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. But it's okay at 9 p.m. Yes. until 9 a.m.? Try to try to stick 9 p.m. to 9 a.m. Now, one of the yeah. things is because people are going about their day. Uh, well, yeah, apparently you don't care if we third shifters get shot. Yeah, it's okay. Listen, after nine, go at it. Go crazy. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood. 
It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show from the Uniden America Studios. This is Red Eye Radio. All across America and the USA. Oh, one and the same. Wait, what? Eh, you know, I'm sorry. I'm just, uh, I had to say USA and America because we fly too many damn flags here. See that woman from Australia? Yeah. I guess Greg Abbott responded to her. Said, go back, go back to Australia. She was complaining that in Australia, you never see Australian flags fly. And here in the United States are all over the place. So you need to stop. We need to stop flying the flags. I think we all know why they don't fly flags in Australia. Who would want to? <laughs> Number one, their flag. Come on. Seriously, guys? Uh, Texas, are you even trying? Texas Governor Greg Abbott on Monday told an Australian woman complaining about too many American flags to go back to her country in response to a video that she posted to social media. Uh, TikTok user Mia Chloe, who goes by the username of Meander with Mia, <laughs> often posts about traveling the world on a budget and no brain cells, according to her, her account page. In a video posted several days ago, she called out the abundance of American flags she observed in her travels to the United States. Uh-huh. I'm just going to say it. There are too many American flags. <laughs> They're on houses. They're on cars. Mm-hmm. Some are on couch cushions, she said. You're the only country I know that does this. I'm sorry. Were you around during the 80s? Even American kids were wearing British flags on their shirts. <laughs> they all wanted to be Def <clears throat> Leopard. <laughs> and put some sleeves on, would you? <laughs> uh, put some sugar on me, babe. Well, remember that. And then uh, the, was it the Japanese flag that also made it onto shirts? Or the Japanese, well, it was, you know, it was pretty much the flag. The whole rising sun thing. Yeah, that made it on some 80s shirts. I know because I have most of mine still in my closet, hoping to fit back into them. And the Canadian flag. <laughs> Why a maple leaf? Come on. And their beer sucks. Yeah, exactly. Every time I see a Canadian flag, I'm like, oh, is there a hockey game? That, that, <laughs> that, that, that is, is a hockey match? That is sort of a quote from Canadian yeah, bacon. Right. Michael Moore's most accurate film mm-hmm. which is fiction yeah and, and that was john candy what's this with the canadian flag <laughs> the maple leaf and their beers and and nobody and that's the best part of that mm. that scene they're at the hockey game and you know john candy is a sheriff from the united states and he's with you know his friends and they're just insulting canada left and right you know yeah right 
about everything. And, well, and who and, wouldn't want to? And and by the way, <laughs> John Candy was a Canadian. Yeah, and so just blasting them and like no reaction from the fans, nothing. And all of a sudden he goes, and their beer sucks, <laughs> and the entire arena goes quiet. <laughs> hockey game starts. Hockey players come over the <laughs> come uh, over the the, uh, the the bench or pounding on Candy. I mean that's. <laughs> Michael Moore once had it for a scene. <laughs> yeah, he produced a good scene in a movie. <laughs> exactly, I love it. Um, and uh, but yeah, so uh, Abbott responding to the video of the rant on Twitter wrote, "Go back to Australia," along with eight American flag emojis. Mm-hmm. Chloe said she had only ever seen an Australian flag. On the famous Sydney Harbor Bridge. I couldn't tell you what it looks like, she said. I know it's blue and it's got some stars on it. But I think I could draw the American flag from memory. Well, that's because the American flag is superior. It's the way it's supposed to be. I. <laughs> this is all natural. She's not, what? you know, that's the whole thing. She's She's just an ordinary person that's a natural thing uh, that you memorize the american fa- think, flag even as an australian but i think you need to hear her point uh-huh sir i don't care about her point you arrogant american she comes from a place that has an ugly flag why would i care about her point i think i could make a bloody sculpture of it that's how many times i've seen it it's enough let's pull back on it okay let's stay humble yeah a way to be reasonable about it In other videos, she's heard complaining about American supermarkets, which she called a trap. She noted uh, that uh, she went uh, inside a Walmart and wound up shopping for four hours, but only purchased three items. In another, she apologized to anyone who lives in the Midwest calling Kansas unlivable because of the weather. Mm -hmm. I'm currently in Kansas, she posted in an August 4th video. Mm -hmm. Even though it's blue skies right now, give it an hour, it's going to be thunderstorming, there's going to be lightning, you're going to be stuck in a blanking hail shower. Is she single? I don't know. She sounds, sounds like, a, like a real cat. She sounds like a wonderful gal. Yeah. What a wonderful gal. Yeah. But she's got a horrible flag, though. It's <laughs> a problem. That's a real problem. Hey, hey, what does your nation's flag look like? Oh, sorry. I'm going to hop off the now, international dating now, site. Now, come on. Let's not let's not go after Australia too much. Remember, in all the World War II movies, they were the spotters in the islands. Remember? No, I love Australia. They were always Australian. They're 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 very helpful in that regard. <laughs> Their flag is horrible. They're very helpful as World War Two spotters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they give us a little bit of a lookout, and we're okay with that. They've got some uh, pretty good wildlife. Some big sharks. Yeah. Very big sharks. Very big sharks. I mean, <laughs> between Australia. They got some good bands. And uh, in South some... Africa, I mean, it's like Great White Central. 
They got some. They got some really uh, big bands. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. ACDC, the Bee Gees, Ice House, which yeah. is huge there. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I just I love Ice House. It's great. Yeah. Uh, just absolutely love that band, and they have they did the song that's becoming the anthem, really, of almost the anthem of uh, of Australia, which is Great Southern Land. Mm-hmm. Keith Urban, very talented. Was, oh, yeah, Keith Urban, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Russell Crowe, mm-hmm. yeah. who, by the way, speaking of Canada and hockey, made the worst ever hockey movie. Mm. What was it Mystery Alaska? Oh yeah, <laughs> where where yeah. There, there are a bunch of there are a bunch of guys just you know playing hockey in this small town, and the, I think it's the New York. Ra- they somehow get a hockey game with the New York Rangers or something. Yeah, it was the dumbest concept, and I can't remember. Did they tie? Did they, the, whatever? I just I watched the movie because it was so bad. That's another yeah. thing, Australians don't make hockey movies. By the way, we were recently <laughs> talking about Jaws, and if you did a yeah. remake, yeah, to replace Shaw, his son Ian. I'm going to show you a picture of him right now. That's his son. Oh, wow. Is he an actor? Yes, and he's playing his father in a play called The Shark is Broken, and it's about behind the scenes of the movie Jaws. It's a stage play. Now, the critics haven't been over the top great, and I forget the guy who was playing... uh, uh, the other, the uh, the the chief, the the guy, the actor who played Chief Brody, but they're they this like I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if it's a limited run or will be a limited run because nobody's going to see it. I have no idea how successful it is because it just opened, but it was the day we talked about it, the story came out. Wow, the shark is broken, which you remember the mechanical shark that they used. Mm-hmm. And then it came out years later. Oh man, there were so many problems. It kept with that. breaking. Yeah. yeah. And Shaw was actually very sick. He was running a, yeah. a high fever uh, during much of the shooting. Um, but some of those most memorable scenes, he was very sick. When when he was sitting uh, with oh, what's the other actor's name? Roy Scheider. No, no, no. The uh, the piano guy. Remember, he was the piano teacher, the music teacher. Oh, Dreyfus? Dreyfus. Yeah. When he's sitting there and they're like having dinner or just sitting down and he's telling the stories. Yeah. yeah that was yeah. the best part. Well, they me. they tried to build some camaraderie, apparently, between the actors when when things weren't rolling. So they they served up a little bit of alcohol. They had them play games. They talked about, you know, they would talk about their their careers and the whole thing. And they were, you know, basically just trying to build that kinship on the set. And that's what the play is about. The shark is broken. Well, he could, when you, sh- as soon as you show me this face, he went, looks oh, yeah. Identical. You to know why? Dad. Because his face, he could like, you know, he could contort his face to squint his eyes. Well, okay. Like his father did. Yeah. And so, so well, there you, there you, there you yeah. have it right there. There, there he is, Ian Shaw dressed 
as his father wow. was dressed. Wow. It's him. Wow. It's, it's him. It's almost a clone. Yeah. All right. All right. We've got that taken. Yeah. Yeah. Robert, and, and Robert thanks, Shaw's son, Ian. I got so many suggestions when we had, and we only did that for, I don't even know how we got on the topic yeah. the other day about Jaws and. Yeah. Maybe it was because of the shark attacks or whatever lately. Right. Yeah. But it was, um, I got so many suggestions of people that should play the different characters because we had brought it up and we couldn't figure out anybody for, for Robert Shaw. But no, you got it now, his son. No, that's, it, it, it would have to be his son. And, and Paul Giamatti for Dreyfus's yeah. part, right? Right. You know, Bryce oh. Scheider, I don't, I don't know. Who. Uh, John Hamm. I think John Hamm could do it do it justice. Would Keanu Reeves have a have a place in this movie? Prob- <laughs> probably not. But Dreyfus would have to do a cameo. He would have to play like the you, mayor or no, something. No, you're right. Yeah, you know? he would have to. You know, yeah. more buttoned up and a little more. You know, well, no, I think that. Well, you know, you know the the the, the, the funny <laughs> thing about the Jaws is. When I watch it, then it was like, you know, Jaws 2 and Jaws 8 and whatever. But it was, yeah. the people never got out of the water. It's like, get out of the water. <laughs> and yeah. so that video that came out from Navarre yeah. of that, and that seemed like it was a pretty big shark. And the yeah. woman's there who's taking the video and they're screaming, get out of the water. And it's yeah. like, they're not getting out of the water. And yeah. this big shark, I mean, the huge shark, yeah. there are people yeah. actually further out. And, you know, then the shark and the shark's going through and they're actually, mm-hmm. the shark is between them and the shoreline. And the beach, yeah. And, and she's, she's screaming, they're not getting out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and everybody's screaming. I'm like, this has got to be a movie. And it was, I mean, it, it wasn't a movie. It was real life. No, it was. But the shark seemed to have no interest in any of the people at all. Did you notice that? Shark? No, it seemed to be chasing some bait. Yeah, because it, it was moving move, right. uh, like it was feeding, but it was it to me it looked like it was chasing bait. Yeah, bait it seemed fish. to have no yeah. interest in in the now the water at at that you know because I lived in Navarre, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, the water can be extremely clear, and if it's extremely you know if, so if nobody was really wearing a black wetsuit or anything like that. So. Yeah. Okay. So if you look at John Hamm back in his Don Draper days, right. Maybe okay. Yeah, yeah. Put the you put the the sheriff's shirt on him, right? I mean, the the, the thing about Roy Scheider is he all, he had that always worried look. He looked he, he looked yeah. like a worrying kind yeah. of guy. And right, he, right, right. Yeah. Just he was a little more uh, anchored or grounded than he was in all that jazz. In all that jazz, he seemed really worked up about it, but. You know when, when he was playing uh, the chief, then yeah, he you know had some things going on, and then dealing, and then his son sitting at the table. Yeah. <laughs> it was just that was such a great movie. It really was. It, it really, was. I, it was really. I mean, movie. it was. Uh, yeah. you, uh, you think about it. I mean, it's the character develop. You were paying so much attention to the shark, right? That it took you a while to realize that the character development was great. And yeah. You know, Dreyfus was just great in his role, too. I mean, I thought yeah. he was. Right. Yeah. You know, because yep. he was sort of neurotic in his own way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. 866 90 Red Eye. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at JJ Keller. 
and I'm here to share a tip on speed and space management. Due to safety concerns, many motor carriers have policies that limit or prohibit the use of cruise control. If your motor carrier does allow you to use cruise control, you should only use it in good driving conditions, during daylight hours, and on roads that have light traffic, few curves or hills, and a consistent speed limit. Never use cruise control when operating in adverse driving conditions, including wet, icy, or slippery roads, during rush hour in heavy traffic or on congested highways, at night, or when you're tired or fatigued. During all of these driving scenarios, you want to be controlling and adjusting your speed as you drive instead of having to suddenly brake if you encounter an obstacle. In the case of a slippery road surface, you want to be able to slow your vehicle by not accelerating instead of using the brakes whenever possible. This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller and Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Red Eye Radio. He's our crony, and I'm Gary McNamara. A new survey commissioned by the University of Chicago found that a stunning 30 million American adults say they believe the use of violence is okay if that's what it takes to stop former President Donald Trump from assuming the White House once again. Assuming the White House once again. I mean, assuming. I mean, being elected. Duly elected. Because yes, that's duly. the only way he gets back into the White House as president. Yes. Uh, just, sorry. that. Um, yeah. The study found that 11.6% of U.S. adults agree that the use of force is permissible to prevent Donald Trump from becoming president. That amounts to around 30 million people. University of Chicago professor Robert uh, Pappy, who led the research, said that while he believes recent indictments against the president have created radicalization, there is also growing anger and radicalization on the left as well. The public is more radicalized than it was in April, and it's really quite significant. We've been tracking this for quite a while, uh, and this is a really big bump. So what they're saying is then the whole thing that happened on January 6th is a moot point, non-issue anymore, right? That it's acceptable? Is that what they're saying? What Pappy did not mention is that the number of people who will approve of violence when it serves a desired political outcome on the left dwarfs that of the right. In the same study, it was determined that the amount of Americans who say the use of force is justified to return Trump to the White House, Mm. has shot up from 6 million in the past few months to about 18 million people. This is almost half the amount of people Mm. who justified using violence to keep Trump out of office. Mm.
so good, you know you want to listen again with our podcast, available on our app and at RedEyeRadioShow.com. Front Eye Radio, he is Eric Hurley, and uh, I'm Gary McNamara. Speaking of crime in the cities, mm. a north side community group in Chicago is calling for people to refrain from shooting guns in Chicago between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. to reduce the risk of people not involved in high-risk activities. The proposal from the Rogers Park-based Native Sons known as the People's Ordinance, was recently promoted in an email newsletter. Shootings are up significantly this year. Chicago police believe a reignited gang war between local gangsters is to blame. We have to start somewhere. Our goal is to approach our city's gun violence problem strategically and not all at once. Things didn't become this way overnight, and change won't happen overnight. So they're asking anybody who plans to kill someone to do it during third shift and not first shift or second shift. Right. Just make your list between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. of who you're going to shoot. And then at 9 p.m. you can start the shooting. Since conspiracy seems to be the word of the day, Mm. uh, you can conspire to shoot. Yeah, that's what. There you go. Make your list. Right. Between nine, between man, uh, what time is it? Nine a.m. and nine p.m. I but can't wait. Don't start shooting. Yeah. Until nine p.m. Yeah, I got a whole list here. I got more on the list than I have bullets. What am I going to do mm-hmm. here? I just love this here. This is this is the best wow. part. While Native Sons calls the movement an ordinance, no legislation has been drafted to formalize enhanced penalties for people who shoot who choose to shoot guns between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. Well, it is Chicago. <laughs> oh, my God. This is like, this is almost like, well, a, this is almost like setting rules for the purge. It's, it, well, it's, yeah, it, and it's it's like uh, Norm McDonald's comedians in cars getting coffee, and he's making the point that, you know, the guy was charged with murdering, you know, multiple people in the household and breaking and entering. <laughs> and I think a bunch of comedians have done the whole breaking and entering thing. Has anyone ever broken but not entered? And this is, you know, you're... I, by the way, I saw, you know, it was like the YouTube videos. Why Norm McDonald got fired from SNL? <laughs> yeah. And it's all, it's all of his SNL update bits. It's all the OJ stuff. OJ. Yeah, all the OJ stuff. And it's like, it's like today, hey, OJ Simpson, I can't do it. Yeah. Today, OJ Simpson uh, went to court to get custody of his kids. Yeah. When the judge asked him why, he said, I love them. Yeah. How do you know? They're alive. It's like, oh, man. Well, it's oh, official. Man. It's a, it's a, Double murder is now legal in California. California. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I love this here. So I, where is this now? Who, uh, uh, CWB Chicago. Yeah. Okay. But uh, I just I love the the I just love the fact that. There's no legislation yet saying it's okay to kill somebody yeah. at at midnight, yeah, but, but not at high. This takes out the whole nine, the whole nine, or excuse me, uh, uh, high noon thing. 
Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. You can't shoot anybody at high noon. Well, then what good is it? Got to wait till midnight. They're harder to see it after nine. I, I, I want to see legislators talking about the fact that we need more penalties for guns shot after nine or before 9 p.m. And, and remember, in the fall, we set the clocks back. On that weekend, you get an extra hour of shooting. Oh I mean, this is just so insane. Oh oh. It's another Norm McDonald bit. Really is. You know that, that's, what we thought, that's what we thought you know, of. I mean, it, it really is. Oh, and, and a Brian Regan bit you can mix in. Where they always say, well, crime doesn't pay. Well, how about just saying crime is wrong? <laughs> yeah, I was going to do the crime, but, you know, it doesn't pay that well. I mean, it's, well, listen, if you just keep it between 9 p.m. and 9 a.m. You know, we should have had some of these rules with the mob. Yeah, right. Oh, it's a very complicated situation. No collecting the garbage <laughs> between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. You're going to take out the trash. Um, Yeah, well... At some point, you just give in. Well, I don't know, but if that's the case and the uh, the uh, criminals abide by that, I'm going to happy hour, but making sure I'm home by eight. That's the thing. Uh, final call. It's only eight <laughs> o'clock. Yeah, we know. The purge starts in another hour. Yeah. yeah. Was that the name of the movie? Where yeah, like the, the purge. The, the, was it the purge where the government yeah. gave the 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 you could do whatever you wanted. Yeah. For like one day, one kill, day. do anything. Yeah. Anything. Anything and everything was legal. Or as we call it, Portland. When when that <laughs> when that movie came out, I said, What a dumb concept. Uh, I don't know, but it seemed to have come out before, you know, everything went absolutely crazy where I can look at the purge and go, Well, it's sort of being allowed in some places, is it yeah, not? Yeah, yeah. We call it Portland. Well, or San Francisco. Or San Francisco. Here it is. Yeah. Major San Francisco retailer condemns city and state leaders in full-page ad. Abject disregard for civilized conduct. The owner of a historic San Francisco luxury department store called Odd City and state leadership for the area's, quote, unlivable conditions on Sunday. Uh, in a full-page ad published in the San Francisco Chronicle, on Sunday, Gump's CEO, John Chassis, penned an open letter calling uh, for their destructive and failed public policies to be abandoned. You think about it, they've almost, in Portland and, and places like San Francisco mm. and Chicago, they've almost, they've almost legalized a purge. It's getting pretty close. An open letter to the governor, to uh, uh, the, the the governor, uh, Governor Newsom, Mayor Breed, and the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Gumps has been a San Francisco icon for more than 165 years. Today, as we prepare for our 166th holiday season, we fear this may be our last because of the profound erosion of the city's 
current conditions. Mm. San Francisco now suffers from the tyranny of the minority. Behavior and actions of a few that jeopardize the livelihood of the many. The ramifications of COVID policies advising people to abandon their offices are only the be- uh, the beginning to be understood. Equally devastating has been the litany of destruction of destructive San Francisco strategies, including allowing the homeless to occupy our sidewalks, to openly distribute and use illegal drugs to harass the public uh, and to defile the city's streets. Mm. Such abject disregard for civilized conduct makes San Francisco unlivable to its residents and unsafe to our employees and unwelcoming to visitors from around the world. Wow. Well, there's another warning. Yeah. No, there you have it. You know, it's it's only getting worse. Tell me what the liberal leaders of these cities are going to propose. What? Harder on crime? Bail reform in the opposite direction to get back to putting people behind bars for a long time when they commit violent crimes? Are they proposing that? Anybody even talking about that? No. Well, I saw another story yesterday about D.C. and, mm-hmm. you know, some of the members of the city council who are all for defund the police are now like, we need the National Guard in. Yeah. What did you think was going to happen? Well, maybe maybe their rally cry should be defund the police, fund the soldiers. Yeah. To police our street. Right. Well, they were calling them stormtroopers when federal officers went into or federal agents went into areas during the riots. Remember in, that? In Portland, yeah. I remember yeah. that especially. Remember they went to... Yep. They're stormtroopers. Yeah. So now they're calling for them in D.C. Think about it. Well, they're calling for the National Guard in D.C. Mm-hmm. They called for the National Guard in Buffalo mm-hmm. to provide security for the hotels that have migrants. Right. Now there is, and that that started to become a bigger story yesterday. Right, right. The whole Buffalo thing, because it should be a story. Because they just said, "Look, we're done." The screaming and yelling of Mayor Adams. There was an I forgot who wrote the op-ed piece saying, "You're not going to get any help. Biden is not going to. He's just not going to bring it up on a national level. This is your problem. He's not going to lose New York State. No. So he's not going to expend." any capital because if he brings it up that congress must pass billions of billions of dollars because migrants are destroying the city that's not biden's narrative no No. biden's narrative is there is no problem everything is fine and democrats are screaming you gotta help us solve this problem and he's like there isn't any problem no And so it's going as planned. How do you reverse that? You know, you can't you can't reverse that. How do you you know, we we had talked about it and I just happened. I might not have known. I probably would have seen it somewhere because my friends from Buffalo would have been talking about it. But uh, it started to become a bigger story yesterday, but it still didn't 
you know, that, and that was where there's been two sexual assaults. And so uh, Buffalo has refused to take uh, Erie County, that is where Buffalo is located, has refused in this from an earlier story that, you know, they were New York State was saying, OK, which counties want the migrants? And Erie County said yes. And all the surrounding counties all around there, probably eight, nine, ten counties all said absolutely not. <clears throat> we yeah. won't do it. Right. And Erie County said, yes, they've had this. Now the National Guard is being called in a state of emergency, and they stated, we don't want any more. We've got to figure out a way to do this before we take any migrants. Uh, again, he made it sound like it was temporary, but uh, the county executive polling cards there, the reason he's doing it is because it's affecting his popularity oh, right yeah. now. Yeah. It's well, no, affecting, it's... it's political and big time. It was, as I said, it was the biggest story when I was... Uh, when I was there, it was interesting because I saw in the national news that, you know, how big the story of DeMar Hamlin, you know, coming back to play football. Mm-hmm. That was one of the biggest stories the other day. And they were talking, uh, I was seeing some commentary saying in Buffalo, it wasn't really big because he's been around now. You know, he was around for spring training. He's been right. in camp and everything yeah. else. Yeah. So it was, I mean, it was still a, a good thing, but that's what the media focused in on. Still, that was down the line, the biggest story when I was there over the weekend, uh, without question, was the fact that Erie County now has backed off and won't take any migrants anymore because of two sexual assaults. Mm -hmm. But they know, I mean, what there, what is the, what's the other ending for so many things that we have talked about for the, for the left, where we talk about the abstract ideas coming right against reality and reality is winning. Yeah, the, it was always going to play out right. this way. There was no other way to play out defunding the police. There's no other way to play out the fact that we can uh, provide energy, consistent energy with solar and wind. Right. We can't. Reality is going to come and bite you in the butt. Yeah, and open the border as long as it doesn't affect my town. Yeah, Exactly. Now it's affecting their town. Yep. 86690 Red Eye. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara, and there's a headline right there. 50 Cent. Mm-hmm. Uh, 50 Cent told L.A., uh, who sa- says, I told you L.A. was finished after the viral flash mob smash and grab at the Nordstrom the other day. You saw that one. I mean, yeah. Had yeah. Bear repellent. I mean, they were, they were armed and organized to go in. Yep. And, you know, that's – and, again, what was – what was the other conclusion to that story? There wasn't any. No. No. When you make it easy for criminals, when you give deference to the criminals, well, they're only doing it because they're oppressed. Nope. Nope. You've empowered them.
This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Do we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.